Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 77 of The Yacking Show. We talk about life, business, and more, and we like to bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we are finding ourselves in these days, and it's certainly changing from day to day. As always, we have interesting guests to entertain you, enlighten you, and sometimes to educate you. And I think today's guest is going to do all three and be strong on the entertainment side as well. But it's not my job to introduce guests. It's my job to say to you, if you like our show, please subscribe, and then you'll definitely not miss the next episode of the show. Enough from me, and I'm going to welcome my co-host, Kathleen. Hello, Kathleen. Good to see you back again. Good to see you, Peter, as always. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today, her name, and she's coming from Dublin, Ireland. Oh, I love Ireland. But welcome, Orla O'Sullivan. How are you, Orla? I am very good, thank you. And I'm delighted to, uh, to be together this evening, to eat together. <laughs> oh, well, the honor is ours. And uh, Orla, can you please tell our audience uh, a little bit about your background? But you are a mindfulness trainer and consultants. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your background and, and explain what mindfulness is. Okay. Um, yeah, so my background, so it's quite varied. It's largely in education and in um, developing systems to help teams flourish. So whether that's a family, whether it's a, a department, whether it's a company. Um, so I work on kind of the vision of where we want to go and then how we pool our wisdom and our experience together in order to help us get there. And, and so I've worked in a variety of organizations for human rights organizations, charities, uh, disruptive fintech startups. Um, I worked with JP Morgan on Wall Street. I curated a museum of manuscripts and early printed books. Um, and I lectured in, in English literature. So quite a wide uh, variety of um, roles. And the, the strand that's always come through, it's why I've been practicing mindfulness in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh for over 20 years, maybe 22, 23 years. And, um, and mindfulness is an energy that we generate in this moment of our life. So, so we spend a lot of our lives just hooked like just on autopilot, planning the next thing that we're going to do. So if we take like 20 seconds together now, and you might just explore, where is your right foot right now? So just go and explore, find where your right foot is. And what data are you receiving from it? So what your foot is being touched by, maybe the sense of pressure of shoe, or its weight against the floor. If you scanned it with an imaginary thermal scanner, can you find the coziest part of your right foot? And then you can release your attention. So that's micro mindfulness, just mindfulness of your right foot. Mm -hmm. And most of our lives, we are, um, are not in this moment, not with our body, we're pulled. So we're pulled constantly by the past. We replay 
uh, the past, we are drawn into 10 million different futures, which will never actually turn out the way we imagine or fear it. Um, and even if we're here, we're on a mobile, like doom scrolling <laughs> to see things that we have no control over. And, um, and like our mind feels very rational and logical, but we know it is under the influence of tons of cognitive biases. And actually our thinking is quite demented at times. So mindfulness short circuits all of this energy. It just short circuits the momentum of this habit, habitual pull. And it brings us into this moment with openness, with curiosity, with kindness. And, um, and then we train our brains uh, to focus. So then we, we train our brains to know when it's appropriate to focus and when it's okay to let go. And the result of that was that we end up having much more clarity in our thinking. So we don't need to believe everything we think. Uh, our thoughts are very real, but not necessarily true. So we notice our thinking and then we choose how we want to engage with it. So that is, so mindfulness is a, a source of happiness and freedom for us. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That, <clears throat> there's a number of things I want to ask you, but the first one is what's the difference in between mindfulness as you've just described it and meditation? Oh, that is a fine question. Mm. So I think that it's like, you know, that every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Mm -hmm. but, um, mindfulness is meditation. So we can do anything mindfully in a meditative manner, like chopping the vegetables or cleaning or anything. Um, but some meditations, um, for example, transcendental meditation might seek to take us beyond or to transcend like, this moment of our existence. Yeah. And in mindfulness, we're kind of doing exactly the opposite. opposite. We want to come in more fully in more HD uh, to, to sense our experience than ever before. So it brings us right in. So it's okay. a type of meditation. Right. So <clears throat> what I read and learned and what I practice every morning is five minutes of trying just to concentrate on my breath going in and out and, and focus just on, and that, that is difficult. <laughs> and then I have a mantra. If I, if I lose that focus, I have a mantra, which gets me back onto it. So is that combining the two or the best of both worlds? That is absolute mindfulness. Yeah, that we, we often begin with our body because our mind is the best time traveler in the whole world, but our body always shows up here in this moment. Mm -hmm. So if, and, and our breath, you know, we're always on an out breath or an in breath. And if we're not, we have bigger things to worry about. Right? <laughs> is that <shut? laughs> So it's a great place to start. If your breath is comfortable, it's a great anchor. And, and we teach ourselves to just draw ourselves home to our body. So sometimes that's, you know, wiggling our toes or, mm -hmm sensing what we can hear, just sensing the soundscape. But our breath is great because it's like, it's like being along a, a shoreline and letting waves come in. You know, there's this constant in and out. So we can really rest in our breath. So that is perfect mindfulness. Great. Oh, thank you for that. Yes. So you have an emphasis on uh, creating happier communities rather than individuals. Why do you necessarily focus on groups of people? Yeah, and, and this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, and I think often we come to mindfulness or anything that, you know, will help us, you know, we start exercising or, or learning to meditate because we're in pain, right? So it tends to come from a very personal perspective. Um, but what will make it sustainable is if we can do it in a community. 
Mm-hmm. So at some point, our personal practice becomes a community practice that you realize I'm practicing not just as a gift for me, but my whole family benefits. Like I know people whose, whose children go, why don't you go and do some deep relaxation, dad? Because they know like their father is a fundamentally different person and he can offer his fresh presence to them when he's taken time to take care of himself. So, so by learning to practice in a community, we kind of create this consensus support together. Mm-hmm. And it also means that we can create the kind of community that we want together. Um, so for me, I, you know, I work with a lot of people and a lot of people come in at a point of pain and mindfulness helps. But then when their life gets okay again, they kind of throw it away again, because what's the point? So it's really community that makes it long-term sustainable and you know, societal changing over time, I believe. Right. Very good. Okay. So then you, you work with teens and children um, a lot. Um, so does mindfulness practice differently there than with adults? Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, I feel it's like the same space. We just enter into it by different doors. You know, like if you're in a hall that might have like eight or 12 different entry points that um, that sometimes the, the words or the language is a little different. With mm-hmm. children, we do an awful lot of art. So we do a lot of creative practices and, um, and kind of with children and adults, we also sing songs as part of it because singing can really embody us. Um, sure. But with teenagers then there's that kind of uh, not quite one or the other that I'm much more careful about um, generating a sense of playfulness in case that might be perceived as childishness you know so there's a different ah, okay so with teens we practice much more um i feel it's kind of like i practice much more adjacent so with a child or an adult it's eye to eye and with a teen it's kind of like i'm gonna leave this here and if this is of use to you you don't have to say much back to me so i have a much different um kind of feedback loop with teens give right. them more space um and we work a lot with teens i work a lot on character strengths as well Mm-hmm. Um, so character strengths and mindfulness so they do um they do a survey at the beginning to map out their character strengths and they they get their three top signature strengths and that's just where we start so we don't start with the pain we don't start with panic attacks not being able to sleep feeling like a loser whatever else the suffering is we start with the fact that wow their number one strength is love their second is creativity their third is appreciation of beauty and excellence like what a great place to start Mm, mm. Okay, very good. Goodness. So you encourage parents to uh, learn mindfulness alongside their children. How does that work? (laughs) I really do. So I am maybe six or seven years ago now, I started a community mindfulness group uh, based in Dublin. And I've started maybe four different community groups, um, some online and some in person. And the, the children's one is it's mindfulness for children. And it's called sunnus, which is the Irish word for happiness. Um, but the idea is that a child has to bring a grown-up in their life. So they just ah. have to bring some grown-up. Uh, so like two friends can come and they just need one adult to come with them. And I, I see that sometimes parents come and they're like, can I just give you my child? And we <laughs> never, like, will you hand me back a child who will never have a temper tantrum ever, ever, ever again? And I go, no actually, no, you're going to come in and sit with us. And when we draw, you're going to draw. And when we sing, you're going to sing. And when we take care of our hearts, you'll take care of your heart. And it is profoundly influential for a child 
to see their key grown-ups learning how to take care of suffering, how to notice what they're feeling, mm-hmm. and how to deliberately nourish their happiness and their well-being. It's it's so influential. So these are really um like it has transformed families. Um yeah, it's wonderful. So I really encourage people to um to practice together. And sometimes three generations are with us, which is so lovely that mm-hmm. everyone gets to explore this kind of kind-hearted, wise approach to ourselves together. If I just picking up on something there, when you mentioned three generations, is is that three generational contact something we've lost in in the twenty and twenty first century compared to 100, 200, 300 years ago? Yeah, we've cut ourselves off a lot by um, by creating these siloed spaces. Mm-hmm. And this is a space for children. This is a space for people over sixty. You know, and and we all have our own innate wisdom. So whether I'm four years old or 40 or 80, I have my experience, which is true for me. I have my thoughts about that. And I can, I have wisdom to put into the circle. Right. And like one of the most touching things is when is when you have those like two generations or three and they have these light bulb moments like I was with um uh, one session that we were doing, we were working on our fear. It was Halloween, so we all um, I cut out little ghost shapes and everyone thought about what scares us and we write it on our little tummies and we bring all our fears into the light. And one child was really hard on themselves. They're like, I'm afraid of this and so stupid. And, you know, we really practice that every fear belongs. And they were still, they were stuck in judgment. They were like, that's just you know, I'm just, I'm too old now. I'm seven, like, what am I doing? I'm afraid of that. And one of their parents said, when I was your age, I was afraid of exactly the same thing. And they were, they were like, they'd completely forgotten that they were ever afraid of, you know, the dark or a monster. And they said, I was afraid of exactly the same thing. And you could see it just melted something between the two of them because the parent was trying to get the child to not be afraid. That was their Mm -hmm. go-to. Like they were like, I don't want you to suffer. So just get over it using anything that I can think of and actually when they just listened to the child they accepted it and they had this insight and then magic happened oh very good lovely lovely so something on your website you've got the the calm cafe well tell us about tell our audience about that well that is inspired by how many breaks we take that are not refreshing for us like how many times we're in the middle of a busy day and we maybe have 20 minutes or 30 or maybe a whole hour and um you know we arrive back at our desk not refreshed because we've been scrolling we've been hooked we just did some shopping we hoofed a sandwich while we were doing something else you know and and actually if we can make good use of our breaks we can refresh our energy um and we can still have still feel buoyant at the end of the working day Mm -hmm. many of us give like 120 percent and then we are completely depleted and we kind of crawl into the evening with very little to give to our loved ones so with the calm cafe um you know we don't need anything extra we don't need a month in bali we don't need a meditation cushion no accoutrements required um so these are short like five to 15 minute practices to help us establish our presence, learn to let go, learn to strengthen our ability to take care of ourselves. Um, and to, you know, it's very much based on positive neuroplasticity. So on creating a habit of uh, well-being, noticing the wholesome qualities that are here. 
Um, and someone wrote to me a few weeks ago about it and they'd had a positive uh, COVID diagnosis. And um, they said, I've just finished the Calm Cafe. And they were like, I, got, I joined up because I got this diagnosis and I knew they were asymptomatic, so they were very lucky. But they said they knew that they would be two weeks in a small enclosed space on their own with all the imaginary thinking that they could do mm -hmm. about who they'd been in contact with, waiting for other test results to come back. And they said they knew that they would be a basket case by the end of it. So, so they did this course every single morning. It's how they started their day. They just practiced every single day. And they said, actually, it's been a wonderful two weeks for me. I had this time to take care of myself and nourish myself and listen. And, you know, that was great. If I can do the Calm Cafe during COVID, it's, it's accessible to anyone. <laughs> That's right. Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, look, can you give us an example of what that might look like for somebody out there listening that may be going through terrible anxiety right now is there perhaps a tip some tips that you can give that person right now that may be able to calm them down and bring them down mm. yeah so so there's a with anxiety um it, it's a habit it's an energetic habit that we have mm -hmm. and the the writer jody pico describes it as being kind of like a rocking chair mm -hmm. it gives you something to do but you don't really get anywhere so we have this habit of, um, of like stewing or ruminating over our thoughts. And then we can imagine worse and worse scenarios. So then it keeps building. So what we want to do is interrupt it. We want to short circuit that. And it can be, there's loads of different ways we can, you know, sometimes we have a rubber band and we just snap it. You want like a sharp, like a real twang little shock. Mm -hmm. And it just shocks your nervous system a tiny bit. Um, another thing you can do is subtraction. So, you know, start at 200 and keep subtracting in, in terms of like 13. So 200 minus 13 is, oh, it takes you a second. 187 <laughs> minus 13 is. And actually when you do that for a few times, your brain can't do both at the same time. It mm -hmm. can't subtract odd numbers and stay anxious at the same time. Oh, so, so they're just different ways in. So one, one thing we do is called starfish where you know, with children, we talk about starfish a lot. And then we do this where you just wait for your in-breath to start. And just as my in-breath becomes an out-breath, I need to be in a very specific point. I need to be right at the tip of my thumb. And then I follow my out-breath down. And we continue up and down. And because every finger is a different length so there's no messing with your breath your breath gets to be completely natural mm -hmm. and you're simply mapping it on fingers and because everything's a different length your brain has loads of stuff to kind of compute as to go i need to be halfway up by now i need to be up there by the end here i go and you you do one hand check in at your wrist to go how does it feel in this moment to be me and maybe like maybe anxiety was nine before and it's 8.9 now fine Flip hands, do another starfish, and just wait for your in-breath. <sighs> and then do another, and then just check in again. Okay. And it tends to um, like have this very soothing effect on the nervous system. So if you have a chance to do like two, four, six starfish, that's great. And even just focusing on your out-breath is great, like a big mm -hmm. sigh out you know, to take an exaggerated breath in, so aim it below your belly button, like a, 
And then. So when we breathe out is when our nervous system knows that it's okay to rest. So when we pay that much attention to our outbreath, we're human animals. And the human animal in us knows I'm actually safe in this moment if they're breathing out this much. Right. Yes. Because we don't breathe out that much when we're ready to fight, fight, fight. Yep. Like nobody cares about breathing out. No. So, oh. so there, there are many different kind of quick ways in. And what we do is we, we try and practice them. Like if, if anxiety is a scale of one to 10, we try and do it to learn it when we're like zero, one, two, three. So we learn when we're feeling fairly okay. Mm -hmm. And then when we notice, oh my goodness, I'm at a seven, then we have that kind of muscle memory. It really is like a brain training. Mm -hmm. and, and we trust it because our nervous system knows this. I know now what's going on. This is the moment where I get to rest. Okay. So, so every, an, an average emotion takes about 90 seconds to flush through us. Does it? And when I learned that, I'd been annoyed at someone for like three days. <laughs> I was very sad to learn that. It's like, what a waste of time. So <laughs> if we don't feed the emotion, it, it flushes through our, our nervous system in about 90 seconds on average. Right. Right. And so the point is we get a little feeling of anxiety and we are in the habit of feeding it. We go, oh, anxious thought. Yeah. Let mm. me build on that a little bit. Yeah. Bring in my imagination, bring in past anxious moments. I can make a big maelstrom out of this and suddenly I'm in a panic attack. So, so we need to learn how to kind of surf. When we, we need to learn how to notice the emotions when we're feeling it. So this is what metacognition really comes in, which is why so many leaders are learning mindfulness now to know what we're feeling as we're feeling it in that moment. Mm -hmm. So if we notice like baby anxiety, like how much easier to be able to take care of it when it's uh -huh. like one, two, three rather than being sideswiped by an anxiety tsunami of nine. Mm -hmm. I want to jump in really quick because that makes absolute sense because I've experienced, for instance, reading an email that's really irritated me. So now it's not anxiety as much as irritation and even anger. And then the phone will go <clears throat> or Kathleen will call me on Zoom and say, we need to talk. And, and that is just enough that I forget all about that irritation or anger from the email and generally don't go, I may go back to it, but generally next time I look at it, I think oh, it's not worth worrying about. So, so yeah, interesting, yeah. very interesting. And it's kind so, of like, um, like spot, like playlists, you know, that one song comes on that evokes, yep. or maybe, you yeah. know, evokes an angry or anxious state, but we have, we as humans have a whole nuanced playlist to keep that going. <laughs> And what we need to do is choose yes. a different playlist and just different start playlist. fresh somewhere else. You're right. Back to you, Kathleen. Well, like, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the winter light journey? Oh, yes. So um, winter light is a 12 week program that I do and it brings us through the winter darkness. And so many of us suffer even in non pandemic years and um, through to the first light of spring. Um, and it comes from kind of an old Irish understanding of the new year that our old new year began on Halloween. So the original new year in Ireland was celebrated between Halloween and dusk on the 1st of November. And that's an understanding of kind of the newness of a year begins when we pay attention to the seeds that we want to grow in the year ahead. So actually at this time where there's such desolation in the landscape, like it can be very bleak and bare, mm -hmm. it can look kind of empty, but actually 
the seeds deep down in the soil are gathering their nourishment. So that is the time where we need to pay attention to what do we want to grow in the year ahead. So winter light, it's done in three parts that we, um, we befriend the darkness. So we, we allow it to be dark. We allow ourselves to draw in and listen to our heart and listen to what we want to grow, like what we're called on to kind of evoke or manifest. And then the third phase is growing towards the light. And it's done with a bunch of poetry and journaling and different kind of creative prompts. And um, yeah, I very much enjoy it. Mm, very good. That is good. That's good. Then, <clears throat> now, I think uh, Kathleen's got the book. You wanted to ask something about the book. <laughs> well, you are an ordained member of the Thich Nhat Hanh um, Order of Interbeing. Can you, can you just explain what that is and please. Oh, what a great book. <laughs> My pleasure. Yes. So I've been a student of Thich Nhat Hanh for um, over 20 years. He, um, he introduced the word mindfulness into the English language. He's a very influential and kind of like, you know, a very um, like kind of subdued, like not the flashiest piece of information that you know about mindfulness. He lives a very simple life. Um, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Um, Martin Luther King nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize mm -hmm. in the 1960s. He's this huge, um, his emphasis is very much on engaged practice. So of, you know, getting off your cushion into the village that has just been bombed to see if you can help people. Mm -hmm. And he founded the order of interbeing. So interbeing is our understanding, kind of like Ubuntu, our understanding that we are interconnected, that are, you know, that we are fundamentally interwoven mm -hmm. and existing kind of that my happiness is your happiness, vice versa. And um, so he began, he ordained six people. It's, you know, it was a new, he's very much a radical um, creative thinker in terms of modern day Buddhist practice. So he ordained six people in the 1960s, uh, three women and three men, which was itself, you know, cutting edge. Yeah. And, um, and the focus of the order of interbeing is about how to find appropriate ways to help people in this moment, take care of their suffering and nourish their happiness so that they can be happy. So, you know, that looks very differently across different countries. It looks very different whether there's a war or whether, you know, we have different habit sufferings. So like uh, North America versus um, Aleppo would have very different uh -huh. practice depending on what suffering we need to take care of and, and what we can do to make us happy. Um, and like one of, the, one of the original members of the Order of Interbeing um, immolated herself. So she was one of the people during the Vietnam War who literally set herself on fire to make a beacon of her body to try and raise awareness for peace. Wow. Um, and nowadays we mostly just organize events and try and help people. <laughs> so it tends to be <laughs> not that um, uh, drastic. Um, but it is, yes, with a worldwide order of volunteers and we seek to just support uh, communities. So for example, this summertime during the pandemic, there, were a group, there was a group of people in Turkey who wanted to learn how to practice and they had no one to support them. So as an OI member, people would come and they go, they want to practice in Turkish. So we need someone to do line by line, speak English, speak Turkish, speak English, speak Turkish. And, um, and so we created online spaces through the summer to learn to practice together. 
So I, you know, came to understand a little more about Turkish culture and what um, their habitual suffering is so that we can take care of that and, um, and then how to create this community together to nourish each other. Uh, very good. We're getting towards the end of our time, so we don't want to miss the opportunity. How, this has been really fascinating. How can people contact you if they want to find out more? Sure. So my website is orlaosullivan.com and I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Charlie, what are you on Twitter? That easy one to find you on. Twitter is just Orla. So it's Orla spelled O-R-L-A-I-T-H. I was clearly an early adopter on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and um, uppercase, lowercase? Uh, all lowercase, I think, on Twitter. Yeah. Because yeah. Twitter's case sensitive, I know. I did not know that. <clears throat> oh, very much so. I'll, I'll find it. Either if I search, we'll find you. Uh, okay, so we will put those on there so people can contact you. And there's a last question. We've got a, a few seconds to ask you. Um, how can mindfulness improve businesses or, or make businesses better places? Let's put it that way. Yeah, um... You know, the, the, one of the really uh, good things about the last 20 years is the sheer amount of academic research, which I think just reassures people that it works, even though it's, you know, every culture has this going back thousands of years. So we know, um, we know we have on average an eight second attention span. We're multitasking constantly and throwing away our energy. We're filled with cognitive biases and mindfulness creates a space of clarity and ease. It increases our energy, it boosts problem solving, boosts creativity, our immune systems. So physically, our immune systems become stronger. It's good for our heart. So our heart actually has a better cardiovascular profile. Our experience of chronic pain goes down. Depression, loneliness, isolation, all of those go down. I would think, why would any sane leader not want to do mindfulness? <laughs> right, right. No, that's, that's, that's a good explanation. Ola, thank you very much. Back to you, Kathleen. Well, Orla, my goodness, what an honor it has been. Uh, a true pleasure to have you on our show today. And I know that our audience will have learned quite a bit from you. And I will put into practice some of the tips that you mentioned on today's show. So thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, Orla. Yes. Thank you both so much. It was such a pleasure. And thank you all for joining us and for tuning into our show. Again, we so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And again, if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>